Good, let's go. I'm Philip Knight. And I'm Vicky Wunt. And we are the underwriting team at Asset Advantage, and you are listening to Asset Advantage Out Loud. So we've made it to our second episode and what is probably going to be our, well not probably, is our first proper episode with some uh, real content. So this podcast we are going to talk about our top 10 things to include in a proposal. Some of which are things that I don't think we always do receive, would you agree? I agree, yeah. Um, some things which we do receive. So I'm going to kick off with my number 10, and these are vaguely in order of importance, although realistically they're all important, I think you would agree. Um, so my number 10 is information about previous adverse that the customer might have. And certainly for us, if we find out something that we haven't been told about, then it's usually an instant decline because we think if we've not been told about something like that, which is quite serious, then what else have we not been told? And when I think about adverse, I mean stuff like county court judgments. Personal adverse, defaults. Yeah. Uh, previous insolvencies that directors might have been involved in, uh, maybe that the business is a phoenix. So yeah, so we like to know all about all of the skeletons and it doesn't mean that we will decline the deal just because there is adverse, but we like an explanation. And obviously if there is adverse in the background, it does make the information in the rest of the prop uh, needs to be uh, really spot on. So that's my number 10. Your number 10? Like I said before we started, I think we've done ours slightly differently. And I think for me, at the start of looking at a proposal, it's really important to have a really detailed but simple explanation of what the deal is. So a proposal with the amount, the term, the equipment, and the rationale. Yep, I've put, actually, I've put business case for the proposal as my number two thing. So, yes, we want to know what they want the finance for. So, vagueness is something that we don't encourage. And I think where it's something that is like a fit out or is something that's maybe kind of general we really do need a, a not a down to the last next screw and nail but at least some element of breakdown of a, of a project's costs yeah, yeah absolutely and yeah. that's actually one of my in fact it's my final point invoices with payment terms or quotes or some sort of breakdown of how they got to the figure that they're requesting for, for on the proposal yeah because I think with that we're trying to brutally identify that we're not uh, there's, there's not a fraud, that there is a, a genuine finance requirement behind it and really to smoke out those transactions that might actually be more cash flow related than, than project related. Yeah. yeah? Um, my number nine is 
management CVs. I think particularly where it's not clear, particularly with new starts or with individuals that, uh, with businesses that are clearly much younger than the individuals involved in the business, uh, it's useful, if not critical, to understand what experience the individuals have got. And actually, that can be a real positive for the deal. It's not we're looking for negative information around the CV. We're actually looking for positive things so that we can go, oh, great, they know that industry sector inside out. They used to work at XYZ company. And it might be as simple as giving us a LinkedIn profile. Uh, possibly, but I, I was thinking when you were talking, that's actually my number eight point, um, that actually sometimes it's quite nice to have the CV and then be able to refer it against the LinkedIn because you're then really verifying that CV. Yeah, 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 yeah. cool, cool. And it helps us get a bit of a feel for the business, doesn't it, if we understand how they've transitioned through their career or... Uh, absolutely, I think it can really make or break a proposal. What's your next one? Uh, we sort of touched on it um, right at the beginning about rationale, but I think there needs to be some kind of commentary on the business or a business plan from the business owner themselves. And that commentary, because it brings about a bit of enthusiasm and an understanding that we can't get without having that directly from the customer. Yep, I think, I, I couldn't agree more. The best person to explain their business is the people involved. And it doesn't need to be 10,000 word essay, it can be a few paragraphs. And by that, are you talking about the, uh, a description of their business model? Because the other thing that I'm also uh, is sort of aligned to that is some short commentary on trading quite often ask for management accounts, but I'd quite like to see some words from a customer. Yeah, no, absolutely, I completely agree, which is why I've kind of differentiated between commentary on the business and business plan, because in general, you're looking for a business plan for a new start, but actually, even though a business might have been well-established, you do need a bit of understanding about the trading and, and where they feel they're taking the business and why the project that they're doing right now is gonna help them to grow that business. Yeah, and I think words can give context to just the pure numbers. We don't, the way we underwrite isn't just a question of pumping numbers into a spreadsheet and seeing whether the spreadsheet says we should approve the deal. Sometimes you want to read the words and put those into the, uh, and align those to the, to the numbers that you've been provided with the management accounts. Um, so, yeah, words from the customer and not copied from their website we can read that website. We're looking for stuff that we can't... I mean, that's a, a general theme, I think, in terms of information that we want, is not stuff that we can find in the public domain. That's you know really good for a, uh, uh, an introducer to provide us with. Okay, so my number eight is a short history of the business, which I think we broadly talked about in terms of giving some uh, description of what the, the business is. It's particularly relevant if the business, I think, is new, though. Yep. So if it's maybe five years old, just tell us what it was before, particularly if the claim is around it being established. Um, we're always interested in why are you saying this business is established yet it's only five years old? 
I think it links really neatly into one of my points, which is consolidated accounts. And I think that when you have a business that's clearly got lots of different um, companies and there's lots of intercompany balances, and there's reason for that, it's impossible for us to pull that all together. And I think it's really important to get a set of consolidated accounts so you can understand exactly how profitable that whole umbrella of businesses is yeah, no, and I what agree. debt they have. Yeah, because surely the business owners must be managing it on a consolidated basis. They must be barring, particularly where there are intercompany, intercompany debtors and creditors, mm -hmm. they must be looking at it, at it, or my assumption is they are looking at the business at a consolidated level. So I think it's not unreasonable for us to expect to see some some form of consolidation, even if those, even if they're exempt from providing those to companies' house, I think it's, and on a larger deal as well, uh, we would want to see some consolidated info. Um, my number seven is bank statements, <laughs> yes. which is quite interesting because probably for the first five, six years of the business, I was kind of not overly interested or terribly bothered about bank statements, but uh, I will confess that you have converted me to the joyous world of bank statements and analysis of bank statements. And I think those are very useful for us. We did go through a phase of trying to use open banking, which would have been great yeah. because uh, the open banking system actually gave you a spreadsheet, a data download of people's bank statements and it was even categorised by type of entry but our experience of insisting on that was poor because there were lots of people who didn't bank with banks that were part of the open banking system. Absolutely and the system itself just didn't work properly so we would spend a long time with customers trying to get them logged onto it and that was a waste of their time and a waste of our time. So I think bank statements are really useful for us, because particularly if they are, and they kind of, for them to be at any point, they have to be sort of the last month or the last three months. It's no good giving us bank statements from six months ago. What we're really interested in, I think, in the bank statements is What's new lending, yeah. new lending yeah. that the customer might have taken on. We get a lot of bank information from our credit agency reports, so we get what's called Cato data, current account turnover information, which gives us credits and debits, but it sort of summarises them and it tells us if there are any bounce direct debits or if the customer has gone over their overdraft limit. But it doesn't tell us who uh, the entries are in the accounts, obviously. And we also get information about borrowing, or at least borrowing from businesses that participate with the credit agencies. So that tells us the balance that was borrowed, when it was borrowed, and the balance outstanding and their repayment history over the past 12 months, I think it is. So we do get a lot of information, but the bank statement can tell us a little bit more at a little more granular level. We can see when, for example, customers have taken cash flow loans and that kind of information. And it's also useful for us to have a look at things like intercompany trading and their customers and their customers yeah so a useful piece of information next one from you um, I think management information is really important so 
obviously filed accounts are reasonably stale in that they might be nine, 12 months ago. And really what we're looking at is what's happening now and in the last three, four, five months. It gives us an idea as to why they might now be making a profit where they weren't in their filed accounts. Um, it also gives, they also give a really good breakdown so really good breakdown of assets and uh, creditors and um, what dividends they might be taking yep. out. Sometimes more information often than yeah, than you in get in filed accounts, accounts particularly abbreviated yep. filed accounts. Yeah. And I think the mere existence of management accounts, a company's ability to be able to produce management accounts, does say something about their ability to manage the business. Yeah. It's not uncommon for us to be told, oh, a company doesn't produce management accounts, to which I can't help but think that, well, how on earth do they manage the business if they don't raise management accounts? Or perhaps they don't want to give us management accounts because they are shockingly bad. But either way, if you can't produce management accounts, then one has to wonder whether we should be lending to a business that can't manage their business. Yeah, because I think that lots of people see um, a business being really good through its prof uh, sorry, its turnover but really what we want to know is whether it's profitable or not yeah because it's the profits that generate cash which is going to repay us exactly turnovers vanity profits sanity cash is reality hooray <laughs> my number six is the source of the proposal or as I've always referred to it uh, the provenance of the proposal um, and I've, that's interesting in terms of where it came from because that might drive what information the introducer might have got from the customer. So I think we will potentially query a, a broker that's maybe down in uh, St Ives dealing with a customer in Huddersfield. But maybe that can be explained by the provenance of the deal in that the deal is perhaps supplier-led so it's not unsurprising that maybe it's a local supplier and that supplier deals nationally with customers um, there's clearly a difference between a deal that's sourced from a website where you potentially have never met the customer versus one that you've sourced from a local accountancy firm where the accountant knows the customer and in can introduce you. So I'm not saying that the provenance will necessarily determine whether a deal is declined or approved, but I think we're it naturally... It gives us context. Yeah, and we're more naturally inclined to uh, get to a deal um, and maybe ask less questions around a deal where we're more confident around the, the source of the transaction. Yeah. One would like to think that an accountant wouldn't introduce a deal to a broker when they knew that the, the customer was going to go bust for example whereas clearly a deal sourced from the internet might as well be from somebody you met in the pub and uh, that's got more risk attached to it so that's my number six of provenance got another one for us uh just to say and it sort of goes back to the mr guess but a full set of filed accounts so you've got a balance sheet and a profit and loss because what's on company's house is very, very thin. They're generally abridged accounts. Yeah. And that's the same information that gets reported in the credit agency reports. 
there's nothing more in the credit agency reports than is at the company's house. Well, in fact, it's just the re-reporting of that information. So yeah, full sets of accounts. I've got number five, which is kind of linked to your one about consolidated accounts. I've got a group structure and ownership chart. Mm -hmm. So I think your first point was about complicated group structures. I mean, I think it would be really useful if you know that the deal you've got has got a complex group structure, just ask the customer to put together uh, an organogram showing the relationship between the different businesses and the ownership. I don't think it's a big drama for them to to do that and that helps us kind of get our head around intergroup trading, um, who the uh, ultimate beneficial owners of the business is and um, we all have a picture, especially me, particularly if it's of a train. But I do also like group structure charts. I've only got two points left and one of them I'm going to leave to you. One of them's really important and we always end up going back to brokers for this and that is, do we have the details of the guarantors and do we have permissions to search? Because we specifically have to be given permission to search. Yep. Yep, details of guarantors, it's, uh, particularly if you're offering a guarantee, it just adds another email to the whole process that's pretty unnecessary. And in fairness, I would say we normally do get the details, but that permission is the most important thing. Yep, yep. My number four was up-to-date management accounts, which we've already covered. My number three is what does the business actually do? You would be surprised, listeners would be surprised to learn that quite often we get proposals in about businesses and there's no real simple straightforward explanation of what the company does. Now it's fine if we're sent a proposal for a brick manufacturer, we know they make bricks, although even that's slightly nuanced, what sort of bricks and for whom, but there are more complex businesses where it, it really is difficult for us to understand what they do. And if you don't understand what they do, you can't really then, in our view, analyze the accounts because you don't know what you're looking for. If, they're a, if you tell us that they're a manufacturer, then we will look at the accounts thinking, right, well, we're expecting to see some fixed assets, um, creditors and uh, uh, some creditors, maybe some HP finance for equipment. Um, if you tell us that they're a solicitor, what sort of solicitor are they? Um, are they a solicitor that does uh, personal injury claims, in which case there might be some debt relating to their claims acquisition, or are they just a regular high street solicitor, or maybe they do conveyancing? So I, I think it's super, super important that we're actually told what a business does. Agree? I do, absolutely. And, and it's not uncommon that we look at something and you go, well, I, I, I have no idea what they do. I have no idea what they do, even when you look at their website some of the time. And that happened today. <laughs> well, there you go. So what was that? Well, give, us some, yeah, give us a real example of that business. Well, it was a logistics company. Oh, yes. And well, there were no assets on yes. the balance sheet, no debt, nothing. Yeah. And when we looked at the website, couldn't really understand what they did. No, and that was for a £200,000? Yep, and it was a franchise, and yes, it was... So no real straightforward, simple explanation of what they invoice customers for, 
what their customers are expecting them to provide and, um, and what inputs them from the business there are to, to deliver that thing that they are invoicing the customer for. If it's a corner shop, we don't really need much of an explanation. But there are, we see all sorts of business sectors. So just kind of an explanation of how they make money, really. I mean, it's pretty, pretty basic, but sometimes missed. And I think it might be something that probably introduces do know, because they've had a conversation with the customer, just didn't really think to write it down. Yeah. And then when it comes to prop stage, they're kind of like, ooh, I uh, can't really remember what the customer said they actually did. So that, that, would, be, that would be a really uh, a really useful one for us. My number two is one that you've already mentioned, which was the business case for finance. And my number one, and I think probably your number one, our number one is a schedule of debt. I can't tell you how important this is for us. We provide debt, so we're super, super interested in what other debt has been provided to a business. It's absolutely critical. I was trying to think of an analogy as to why this schedule of debt is so important and why kind of n not being provided, providing us with it is so weird. And I was sort of thinking, you know, asking us to provide debt to a customer and not telling us about what debt they've already got seems to me a bit like the best analogy I could come up with, and it's not a very good one, it's a bit like going into a garage and asking them whether you need new tyres, but not actually allowing them to look at your existing tyres. Maybe it's not a great analogy. No, it's okay. as good a one as I could come up with. Mm -hmm. So... I said before that we get quite a bit of information from credit agency reports, um, but it's not comprehensive. Also, we've got management accounts, which will may show a, a line for debt, but it doesn't necessarily tell us who is lending to that customer. So we like to see a schedule of debt, which includes the lender, the original purpose of the finance, the amount that was advanced and when it was advanced and the current balance outstanding and any security that is used to support that debt. And, and I think it's as simple as that, isn't it? Yeah, but, absolutely. But I have I to say, it is. it is my most requested yes. piece of information and I uh, find it extremely frustrating that having been asking for it for nigh on 15 years it's, it still doesn't always arrive so to all of those of you who provide schedules of debt with your proposals or at least outline in your proposals what debt the customer's got I cannot thank you enough it's really great and it really does genuinely help us and if you provide that up front with us it's, it's another email that we don't have to send out and delay the whole process so hopefully you found those uh, pieces of information that we look for in proposals interesting and we hope to come back with a, another podcast soon uh, we've got lots to say always and thank you very much you've been listening to asset advantage outbound